Hello, welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Uh, Rick, uh, the nation, of course, was watching the uh, funeral memorial service for George Floyd. Uh, powerful moment. Uh, I mean, one of the most powerful moments we, we have seen in, in recent years as uh, the culmination of the outrage that uh, the entire country felt uh, watching what happened to George Floyd and this movement that has come up uh, to deal not just with uh, that travesty of justice, uh, but the underlying problems. Uh, one moment that uh, uh, struck me at the memorial service was we actually heard from Joe Biden. And, you know, Biden made a decision uh, not to go to the memorial itself, although he did go out and meet with the Floyd family uh, the day before, but uh, felt that the Secret Service uh, presence, his presence would have been a disruption. Uh, so he addressed uh, through a uh, pre-recorded uh, message. Let's take a listen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we can't turn away. We must not turn away. We cannot leave this moment thinking we can once again turn away from racism that stings at our very soul, from systemic abuse that still plagues American life. As Thurgood Marshall once implored, quote, America must dissent from indifference. It must dissent from fear, the hatred, and the mistrust. We must dissent because America can do better. Because America has no choice but to do better. And Frank Luntz, who, of course, has spent uh, many years uh, advising Republican candidates. He's occasionally uh, advises some Democratic candidates as well. Uh, but, but Frank Luntz, pollster, focus group maven, uh, has uh, looked at the reaction uh, to, to, to all of this over the past two weeks. And he is saying that he sees a turning point, uh, a, a, a significant turning point in the polling that is among white respondents, uh, and in his words, uh, quoted in the New York Times, who not only acknowledge that injustice has happened, but also now agree that action, not words, are necessary. Uh, he, he sees this in the polling. He sees it uh, uh, you know, across, across the parties uh, as, as a major moment. And we've had... We've had moments that have felt major before and, and, and not a lot of change. Uh, what's interesting to me, Rick, is how the White House has dealt with this. And then, and then we'll talk a bit about how Republicans in Congress are dealing with this. But uh, did, you, did you happen to catch uh, what the president was doing on the day that the world was watching George Floyd being laid to rest? He also did not attend the funeral. Uh, he did not uh, send a, a video message, and his social media seemed to be focused on something else. I and mean, this seems like a big moment in society, and I don't think the White House would deny that. But I don't know, John. You're there every day. It seems like the president's got something else on his mind. Yes. Yeah, so uh, first of all, it was notable that he did not appear in public uh, during the course of the day. Uh, he does have a megaphone that he is able to use even when he does not come out in front of the cameras, of course, and that is his Twitter account. The Twitter account was pretty active. Um, you know, fair number of tweets in the morning, midday. Uh, I, I did not see him tweeting about George Floyd. I did see him tweeting in the morning, of course, about that 75-year-old uh activist who was pushed by police in Buffalo 
lay on the ground, blood coming out of his head, rushed to the emergency room. He's still in the hospital. And there you had the president tweeting uh, something that, I mean, frankly, was a little, even even by the standards of crazy Trump tweets, this seemed to be a little off the wall, didn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, I think suggesting that these were that this that he was an Antifa operative. I mean, we've talked to people that that know this individual well. He's twenty five years old. He's um, kind of well known as an activist, yes, but Antifa, no. There, there's no evidence of that. And um, the, the citation that he used was this, you know, OAN report um, that um, that uh, kind of broke down the video, but without any kind of substantiation and. I, it, this is this is one of those tweets that is hard to ignore if you're a Republican, and and I think it's been easy for a lot of Republicans to take the pat position of well, you know, I don't, I'm not in the business of responding to tweets, but given the severity and the uh, the seriousness which with the country is taking this moment, this one did stand out, and uh, taking this kind of unsubstantiated allegation against the private individual, a guy who was seen by a lot of Americans to just be bleeding from his ear after being pushed down by a, a local uh, a, a local law enforcement officer. Um, the, the Buffalo authorities have taken this quite seriously. The governor of New York, uh, Andrew Cuomo, has taken this quite seriously. Uh, and the president is trafficking in a, in a very much fringe conspiracy theory that seems to malign someone who uh, was seriously injured in this um, unnecessary confrontation. Two aspects to the conspiracy. One is that he is a, an Antifa provocateur who was pushed away only after he was uh, trying to, uh, in the words of the president's tweet, appearing to scan police communications in order to black out the equipment. I mean, I don't know. Uh, but the second thing uh, is I watched he fell harder than was pushed. Was aiming scanner. Could be a setup? Question mark. So that's that's the part. I, I, I don't know what he was doing with the scanner or not doing the scanner. I have no idea. I mean, who knows? We, 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 can, we can try to get to the bottom of that. Didn't seem to be a major threat. But fortunately, we were able to get some clarification uh, uh, via the press secretary, Kelly Mackinnon, who did an interview uh, with Fox News. I, I mean, I, I think it's clarification. Let's take a listen. So the president was raising questions based on a report that he saw. Are there questions that need to be asked? In every case, we can't jump on one side uh, without looking at all the facts at play. This individual had some very questionable tweets, some profanity-laden tweets um, about police officers. Um, but the president was raising some questions, some legitimate ones, about that particular interaction, and it's his prerogative to do so. So it's his prerogative to, let's face it, make unfounded allegations and smear the guy's uh, reputation. And I don't Questions that have what, to be asked, John. Yeah, questions yeah, and, that have and, to be and, asked. And I, I am not entirely clear what his past tweets about police officers, how they would be relevant to this situation. Um, I don't know if the, uh, the police officers, before they shoved him, had a chance to scroll through his Twitter feed. Um, and I don't know if offensive tweets, whatever they may have been, are a reason to get your head smashed to the ground. But let's just let's just leave that aside. She also uh, raised uh, the fact that 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 seventy plus Buffalo police officers resigned in protest of those two officers being fired. I think it's important to note that that, that the reason for the res, for the mass resignations was not because they were condoning what was done by their two colleagues, was because they didn't 
feel that they got proper due process uh, and, and were not protected by their uh, by their own uh, union uh, as they were fired. So anyway, I I, I don't want to you know I don't want to dwell too much on that, but I I I'd like to get a little bit into the reaction. First of all, a very uh, forceful pushback from the governor of New York. I mean, if there was ever a reprehensible, dumb comment, and from the president of the United States, at this moment of ang- anguish and anger, what does he do? Pours gasoline on the fire. So that's from uh, Andrew Cuomo. And you, you alluded to uh, Republicans being asked about this on Capitol Hill. There was actually a moment where Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, was walking uh, with Jared Kushner after meeting with Republicans. Uh, and, and he was asked uh, by a reporter about this tweet, asked several times, and Meadows uh, said that he learned a long time ago not to comment on tweets. I mean, when your own chief of staff <laughs> is not even going to, uh, to to defend you. But did you did, catch Did he the, forget that he's not in Congress anymore? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can almost yeah. get away with that if you're a House member, but maybe not so much now. So tr- so Trevor Hastings, our intrepid uh, executive producer of this, of this uh, podcast, has put together a little montage of three senators talking about this. I, I think it's notable. Uh, one of the senators um, is somebody who has consistently stood by Trump. Uh, two of the senators have been completely disowned by the president. And uh, in the case of uh, at least one of them, the president has explicitly said uh, that he would campaign against her reelection uh, when she is up uh, on the next cycle. So see if you can discern which of the two have been attacked and disowned by the president and which one uh, is, is a, is a, been a consistent supporter. Let's play the sound. I didn't see it, um, so I'd have to. I mean, uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm sure that my office will be able to get me a copy of it, but I, I didn't see it. Yeah, I saw the tweet. It was uh, a shocking thing to say, and I won't dignify it with any further comment. Just saw that this second. It just makes no sense that we are fanning the flames. Not at this time. This is not good. So, could you, could you pick up on that? That was that was uh, Senator Scott, Senator Romney, Senator Murkowski. Could you tell which one wasn't like the others? Yeah, vaguely. And, you know, we could also talk about the fact that, you know, Senator Rick Scott is um, you know, likely to pursue the presidency at some point in the future. And I think Mitt Romney has seen his chances uh, uh, already in the past. And I think beyond the, the Romney and Murkowski coming out, uh, to me, this is this is a telling episode because you have the president who's made very much a political calculation that he is going to be running against American carnage and for law and order and using any opportunity to uh, back up the police side of things and in police a police centric version of events. But you have members of Congress, including Republicans, whether or not they're going to distance themselves from the tweet, who are recognizing a different reality. They are seeing more of what Frank Luntz has seen of the change in public opinion here of the of the recognition that this is a major moment. We've seen it in our polling as well. Democrats and Republicans recognizing this as different than Ferguson. Uh, from a couple of years ago. Uh, the country's dialed into this and whatever combination of factors it's taken, uh, people are taking this seriously and they appear to be uh, taking the actions of their elected leaders seriously. And the president's view of being able to define a different reality may be running up against members of his own party in this instance. Not that they're ready to all denounce because you're still going to have lots of folks who will either feign um, Ignorance about the tweets, or back him up in various ways, but uh, but but also but but more on the policy side of things that you could have some actual movement uh, from Republican lawmakers. 
So I just hope that Senator Scott's office is going to be able to track down a copy of that tweet to show him um, because, you know, I mean, he, sh- he should know what the president is thinking. You know, I mean, that's I think that's important. But but you do raise a you do raise an important point. So you had this situation play out on Capitol Hill uh, on Tuesday where the president's tweet is this tweet that that provoked so much outrage. Uh, by and large, the Republican senators, some in some cases, literally ran or jogged away from reporters trying to ask questions about it. They didn't want to have any comment on that. Um, but that said, uh, you did see Republicans come out and stake out a position that is very much, uh, uh, at least in contrast to what we've seen the president do. As you mentioned, we've seen him mostly through his Twitter feed because he hasn't been speaking much in public over the past uh, the past week or so. He hasn't really been taking many questions. So his primary mode of communication has been Twitter, and it's been sloganeering, law and order, and variations of law and order in all caps on his Twitter feed. And no proposals coming out of the White House. When you ask the White House about proposals for dealing uh, with the issues that were raised by the, the, the death of George Floyd, you know, you get vague comments. You don't get any. Uh, you don't get any any specifics. Uh, meanwhile, up on Capitol Hill, uh, you hear of House Republicans uh, talking about uh, various proposals, coming up with 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 some variation of what uh, of what the House Democrats have already rolled out. And then you have Senate Republicans tap their their leader, Mitch McConnell, tap Tim Scott, the lone African American Republican in the Senate. Um, to, to take the lead on developing a uh, you know a plan to deal uh, with this issue of, of racial injustice, uh, racial disparities in law enforcement, uh, the, the the concern about uh, law enforcement uh, treatment of African Americans, and McConnell, as you know, Rick, because you're you're a student of of Mitch McConnell, McConnell has a hard and fast rule that says that he's not going to put up uh, legislation for vote. Uh, unless he knows the president supports it because he doesn't want to go through uh, all the motions and waste all that time just to have a presidential veto. I mean, what's the point? And he has been rather consistent on this point until now. And now McConnell is saying that they are moving ahead. And the message is very much, we are moving ahead regardless of what the president thinks. So I I wanted to play a bit of sound that I I, I thought was interesting because I hadn't heard McConnell really talk uh, like this before. Um, this is this is uh, after his lunch with the Republicans, uh, where Tim Scott has gone through a series of, of ideas. And uh, this is McConnell explaining, first of all, why he has tapped Tim Scott to do that, and why uh, uh, the Republicans are determined to, to come out with some form, some proposal on this. Take a listen. None of us have had the experience of being an African-American in this country and dealing with this discrimination, which persists here some 50 years after the 1964 Civil Rights Bill and the 1965 Civil Rights Bill. We're still wrestling with America's original sin. We try to get better, but every now and then it's perfectly clear we're a long way from the finish line. I don't know, Rick. Have you heard McConnell talk like that before? I'll say this about Mitch. Mitch McConnell has long 
championed himself around civil rights. This, it isn't a one-off for him, but I think the language is striking in the context of a president, a Republican president who's talking about this in such different terms at the moment. And I think he's recognizing what's going on inside his own conference from Senator Scott uh, and others. Uh, and I think also just just seeing what we're all seeing, that this is a thing. This is a big moment in this country. This is a reckoning. This is a moment to begin to see some real action surrounded. And there's only been a handful of those. I mean, we've had episodes, sadly, of, of police brutality that have broken through and become national news stories. But this does seem to be of a different level. And I think the way it's being approached by elected leaders on the Republican side uh, speaks to that directly. And I think the fact that McConnell would break that rule for this episode tells you about what you need to know about this. He is always focused on keeping his majority. He knows what that takes. And he knows that in this moment, this is what a rebuke of the president essentially looks like, right? It's not that he's going to come out and say, yeah, the president's got to stop the tweeting. It's not constructive. He's not going to be Mitt Romney. But this is speaking just as loudly in its own language to, to the White House. Yeah, and, and more substantively and arguably uh, um, more importantly, you know, it was interesting to see, as I mentioned, Meadows and, and Jared Kushner did, uh, you know, run up to Capitol Hill on Tuesday afternoon after this whole thing had started to uh, to come together. But it is it, it doesn't seem clear to me that they are in any significant way part of the of the crafting of, of whatever the Republicans are going to come out with on this. Um, but, um, uh, you know. <laughs> The, um, the, the the president at some point, and there's all this talk, is is the president going to address the country? Is he going to do a uh, primetime Oval Office address? Is he, you know, what's he going to do? I, I I wouldn't be holding your breath uh, on this one, Rick. I, I, I don't, um, I know the president is sounding, you know, sounding out a lot of people. He's making a lot of calls. He's, uh, but I... I I, I, you know, a big unifying address on racial equality, um, you know, from the Oval Office. I, I'm not, I'm not uh, putting my money on that. Yeah, and and I and I think it's 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 a it's a very perilous political time that the president finds himself in. We've seen a raft of polling that suggests that he has taken on a lot of water uh, as a result of the twin crises of the moment of COVID-19 and the George Floyd aftermath. Uh, We've seen him fall behind substantially in battleground states. Um, This president's aware of that. Uh, He's reacting to that. Uh, He also is always going to be tending that base. And if you're looking for change out of this moment, I think it's fair to say you're not seeing change out of this president. Uh, this is how he is. This is how he got there. This is how he. Uh, this is how he's governed. This is how he is going to campaign. And uh, I'd also note that the, the you know the kind of laser focus on the on the the the, the recovery of America and and bringing America back is lost in the tweet as well. And that uh, that the, if if his intention is to message on a great American comeback and and even ignore for the most part the, the racial tensions of the moment, that's not what he's doing. He's wading in deeper in. Um, what even many of his his friends and uh, and supporters think is a non-productive way. And, and I had a, uh, a very senior congressional Republican say to me, uh, and this is an exact quote, he's killing us, uh, meaning Trump and, and what he's doing and what he's doing to Republican um, uh, prospects in House and Senate races. So there, there is some concern. There was even a poll. I think you, you – I mean this is – I'm sure it doesn't, doesn't meet uh, – 
uh, the, the standards of, of airworthiness, but maybe podcast discussion worthiness. Did you, did you see this the, 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 this poll that showed McConnell actually down a point uh, in his reelection? I did, and I, and I don't see Mitch McConnell losing his election in a pre- no. especially in a presidential uh, election year. It's not impossible, but, by the way. Right? But but I'll tell you, I've talked to pollsters, and they they're, they've been in the field and they've seen this. And you you start to look at um, Martha McSally in Arizona, Cory Gardner in Colorado, uh, Susan Collins in Maine. People who, some of whom, you know, Susan Collins in particular, have broken quite frequently uh, with this with this president. But they have their political fates tied to some degree to how this president performs and how he performs in a moment like this. And yeah, McConnell's not sweating it uh, in terms of reelection, but he knows that a lot of his members are. And that's kind of how the process works. That's how democracy works. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, and I, b- before we, we close out this podcast, I do want to revisit uh, the bunker. Do you mind when we come back, Rick? I never mind. Okay, we'll be back in just a minute. All right, welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. Uh, Rick, another issue that uh, we didn't address is the, the, the battle cry that we see in protests all across the country. The activists uh, saying defund the police. So uh, I, 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 this is an issue, uh, obviously – if you kind of drill down into this, some of the activists are saying abolish policing as we know it, uh, but a lot of others are saying that we've had a uh, we've had a, a, a trend over the last few decades of increasing uh, budget increasing budgets for law enforcement, uh, increasing disproportionately uh, toward in comparison to uh, what cities spend on. Um, you know, other, other issues, uh, in terms of social welfare. Uh, so it's not necessarily a, you know, eliminate police, but let's maybe not, let's shift some of the money that we've, that we've put into militarizing police departments into, into other issues. That said, wherever the nuance is on this, the, uh, you know, the, the slogan's pretty clear, defund the police. And it didn't take a minute for the president to jump on that one. Take a listen. We're going to be discussing some ideas and some concepts and some things. Uh, But we won't be defunding our police. We won't be dismantling our police. We won't be disbanding our police. We won't be ending our police force in a city. I guess you might have some cities that want to try, but it's going to be a very very sad situation if they did because uh, people aren't going to be protected. Joe Biden, by the way, the the guy that, uh, as a senator, Helped draft the crime bill that's added 100,000 uh, police officers to the streets. The guy that on his website right now uh, has a proposal for increasing spending uh, on, on law enforcement, uh, you know, primarily to deal with some of the issues that, that have been raised over the past two weeks. Uh, where does he stand on defunding the police? Take a listen. I don't support defunding the police. I support conditioning federal aid to police based on whether or not they meet certain basic standards of decency and honorableness and, in fact, are able to demonstrate they can protect the community and everybody in the community. So, Rick, the president, his campaign, the party will try to uh, tie the defund the police slogan to Biden and to every member of Congress up for re-election this year. Uh, but what's Biden going to do? I, I think he's got to be as clear as possible that that he doesn't support 
the movement in any way, shape, or form, which is tough for him because he's got his own history to answer for. That 1994 crime bill is quite a controversial one, not just because of the 100,000 cops. That's sort of the least of it, the sentencing reforms that he's been hit so many times on. Look, as slogans go, uh, this is an awkward one for Democrats because defund the police means a lot of different things to, to a lot of different people, including a lot of people that actually don't want to defund the police. They want to repurpose money that's currently going to policing to other community programs that are currently handled by police departments, to mental health and education and social services. Uh, that's the spirit of def, quote, quote unquote defund the police. And I'm curious to see how the country is um, is going to receive that slogan because Black Lives Matter has broken through in a very mainstream way, and and you have lots of folks, including people like Mitt Romney, who are now willing to say Black Lives Matter. Uh, I think defund the police is going to be a tough, tough sell. Even people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who was on Good Morning America this morning, John, you may have caught it. She is not comfortable defending the concept of defund the police. Uh, And that means different things in different places. And Democrats have to get away from this. And I've gotten a couple of panic calls from from Democratic operatives in the last couple of days saying, what is going on here? And the the vice president, I think he's going to have to be as clear as possible. His running mate's going to have to be as clear as possible uh, that 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 actually is not something that Democrats support, that Democratic elected officials support. Uh, Otherwise, it is going to be uh, playing right into the president's hands. I, I, that, that, that to me seems like a fair assessment based on today's facts. Well, it's going to be challenging because it is a very loud and persistent uh, rallying cry at these protests all across the country. Not everybody is saying it, but, but clearly some of the loudest voices are. And of course, we saw it painted right on 16th Street in front of the White House. So Rick, before we go, I do want to revisit a little bit of uh, a little bit of news from uh, from last week, and this was, uh, you know, of course, the president. Um, uh, it, it, as the protest unfolded, we we learned had been brought to the bunker, the, the the secret bunker that the Secret Service actually doesn't even acknowledge exists, but we know exists underneath the White House as the protest started to get underway, um, and we had heard uh, the president uh, give an explanation uh, after that story had broken. Um, and become something that activists all over the place and seized on. You've seen um, various uses of that word bunker and then different words to follow it, describing it, the president, uh, uh, at these rallies. So uh, if you recall, and a little bit of history here, uh, this is what the president said uh, a little over a week ago uh, to Brian Kilmeade of Fox News on his radio show. I went down uh, during the day and I was there for a tiny little short period of time, and it was much more for an inspection. There was no problem during the day. They said it would be a good time to go down, take a look, because maybe sometime you're going to need it. Just so happened to be right before all the protests and all the stuff that we saw unfold. But, you know, it was just a coincidental inspection, the president said. Very short period of time. Actually, I believe it was a very short period of time. But was it an inspection? And was there really no problem at the time he was brought down there? Uh, And why does he care? And why is he out there correcting the record? We can ponder those questions. But uh, in the the attorney general's interview with Brett Baer on Special Report, Fox News, uh, we got a slightly different explanation of what had happened. Take a listen. We were reacting to three days of extremely uh, violent uh, demonstrations uh, right 
across from the White House. Uh, a lot of uh, injuries to police officers, arson. Things were so bad that the Secret Service recommended the president go down to the bunker. We can't have that in our country. And he volunteered that. He wasn't asked about it. So anyway, uh, you know, I guess it I guess it doesn't really matter all that much. But um, uh, that but, bothered him, though, right? I mean, you, 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 you've heard it from people around him. The, the, the idea that he was hiding in the bunker. Yeah. Uh, was 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 something that got to him, and uh, especially after mocking Joe Biden for being in his basement for as long as he was, it seemed to to defang uh, that argument, and it made it look like the president was backing down from a challenge. And I think that perception made him seem scared, fit. and and and, yeah. and he wants he wants more than anything to project strength. That's what it's all about. That's why he was doing all those kind of fist pumps as he was walking across Lafayette Park. After the protesters had been, you know, forcibly removed, so there was nobody around. But he wants to project, you know, total strength. And running, you know, being rushed to a bunker because of concerns about people with signs outside, you know, that doesn't that that wasn't the image he wanted. Yeah, and I, it, it may have driven that photo op in the first place, uh, and, yeah. and there's something there's something about that moment. And you know, I think that that episode we talked about it last week. It is a, it is one of those big moments in American political history. And you know, wherever you put it on the Trump list, because there's been so many of them, uh, it's one of those indelible ones. And if we see the political consequences uh, of this moment continue to, to to trickle out, I wonder. I wonder what the history will finally say of, of every activity that took place around that night, that, that, that march across Lafayette Square that seemed to, uh, to mark a bit of a turning point in the perceptions around a president whose perceptions are pretty much baked in. All right, Rick, that is all the time we have. Uh, thank you to Trevor Hastings, uh, working away uh, from his undisclosed location. Avery Miller, thank you from the entire Powerhouse Politics team. We will be back. I've got a feeling, Rick. We are going to actually be back with another special episode later this week. Good tease. I like that. I like that. Stay tuned.